0: Coming up this hour on The Common Good, we're going to talk about churches still insisting on meeting during this pandemic, and then we're going to celebrate hospital chaplains. That's coming up here on The Common Good. Hey, everybody, welcome to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Glad that you're joining us on this Friday. Uh, For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, Find us online at 1160hope.com and get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, we've made it through another week. Well, after today, we will have made it through another week. You know what my family did last night, man? That felt really normal and fun. We had a, uh, we made a bonfire in the back of our yard and it made it feel kind of summery. I was like, okay, this feels different.
1: Right, feels normal. Like you're
0: actually able to spend some time together doing something outside. Yep, did s'mores and all that kind of stuff. And in fact, uh, yeah, we ate outside. Like, there was like, okay, this feels good. This feels like we're not just locked up in our house. So very yeah. excited to have done that. So enjoying the weather today as well.
1: Yeah, we had date night last night, and uh, I successfully pulled off date night in the minivan. I had <laughs> hung, hung some Christmas lights, had a bottle of wine, had uh, DoorDash bring some uh, some luxury cupcakes that were phenomenal. I just... It blows my mind the market for these like high-end cupcakes. (laughs) I know. No doubt. It's kind of
0: unreal, but it was, yeah, it was a lovely night. So you ate dinner in the van and that is what date night has become. That is good. No,
1: we ate dinner inside and then we went for dessert and wine and a movie in the van.
0: That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's really fun. Good for you. See, hey, this thanks. is going to re- it's just going to require creativity over the next, however many weeks or months we're doing this. So
1: yeah, listen up everybody, you can do it. You just, you just got to put your mind to it. Somebody should create a blog called like quarantine date ideas or something that would, that would blow up right now. If somebody compiled a list of like good date night options while enduring a global pandemic.
0: <laughs> Hopefully there's there's not use for that after this but yes uh so well good job. Way to still do date night because I think most people Thanks. are probably like, well, I can't do dates until or or like the the biggest date right now is just, well, we're going for a walk. We're going right. to go for a walk. Right,
1: right. Which is well, nice. it's hard too cuz we got a 2 and 1-year-old, so like even you can't walk and leave them in the house obviously, and going on walks with them right now is not the most relaxing thing in the world. So I even made sure to bring our little baby monitor out to the van so we could still keep an eye on them and not be too far, but it felt like a little bit of an escape. It was,
0: it was, great. that's fun. Good for you. And that's uh, that's good encouragement for people out there to keep building into your marriages. Uh, even as uh, it feels like we're just locked together. Uh, I did want to start this show. And when you and I've been starting our shows, pretty informational, but also trying to be an encouragement. Uh, this might be a curveball on a Friday afternoon, but I just want to vent a little bit. Can I vent a little bit? Yeah, please do please do. (laughs) And uh, I was doing some research for the show today. And you and I go, we go to all sorts of different sites. uh, But specifically, two of the ones that we'll end up on or I'll end up on is Christian Headlines and Christian Post or Christianity Today kind of get the pulse of what's going on uh, specifically in the Christian world and the church world. And I found three different articles that every time I read them, Every time I saw them, just made me really mad. And I was like, all right, we're going to do this today. Hmm. Uh, the first one's a Christian headlines, just a headline. Uh, pastor says he will host Woodstock like Easter service in Pennsylvania in protest of stay at home orders. Yikes. Th- then over at the Christian Post, Pastors in Texas are suing to stop the judge's stay-at-home order prohibiting church gatherings. Wow. And then a little further down at the Christian Post, health officials have to urge Ohio, Ohio megachurch to stop holding large worship gatherings. Now, this is on the back of what happened in Florida this week with right. the pastor who even got arrested. Uh, and there is, uh, I, I guess I want to wrestle with, uh, first, I want to express my frustration over this of like, sure. really, like the biggest thing we have to have now is this freedom to be able to meet when it, when it's clearly every doctor is telling us that these middle to large gatherings are going to endanger people's lives. And now we have anecdotal evidence of that all over the place. Uh, so that's one. But two, um, the arrogance of the pastors in these articles is infuriating to me. Oh, of I like, get right from. What's that? I said, get it, Brian Fromm. Yeah, it is just infuriating. It's like they can't stop us. God told us never stop to meeting. And the one, and I get it, guys. I get this is, you know, a fraction of a percent of all the churches out there. But these are the ones getting the headlines right now. Right. Uh, This feel of like if you close your church, you're uh, one of the pastors uses the phrase, uh, quote, you're a pansy uh, or. You are not following God. You are not being obedient. We have freedom of religion, all of this stuff. And I just get so mad when our whole culture is kind of shutting down right now. And it feels like increasingly there's these Yahoo pastors at churches going, nope, We're going to be the ones to take the stand. And I'm mad because it makes people, puts people in danger. And I'm also mad because it makes all of us look bad, even though you and I have said many times, it's a fraction of 1% of the churches doing this. I don't know, man. I just needed to vent. How does it, when you read these articles, or I make you read these articles, what's it do to you? Oh, I love them.
1: (laughs) It it calms me. I can feel my heart rate decreasing. I'm finding my chi. No, it's... It's equally frustrating to me. I'm reading this one with the guy from Pennsylvania, and he says, a Pastor arrested for having a church service in his own building on Sunday, just like 1938 Germany. And just like 1938 Germany, other pastors say nothing or applaud the arrest. So now they're not only continuing wow. to hold these gatherings and to do so, like you're saying, with um, let's call it a hint of hubris. Uh, <laughs> yes. Making comparisons to 1938. Germany, that feels like again. We have to say it again. This is in the vast minority. Most Ratchet. churches are, I think, making the wise, intelligent, uh, law-abiding name, kind of decision. Right, yes. law-abiding. Right. Um, it is odd to me, though. And we've talked about liberty, and we've talked about the you know the pastor in Florida. Do you think that there is something at a psychological level that just sort of fans the flame of their defiance, like? In the same way that the first Christians had to defy the government, we're defying our modern day government for blah, 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 blah. Like, do you think there's a certain level of almost uh, self-righteous, kind of self-flagellating, self-martyrdom that's happening? Like, is, it, is, the, is the pressure that they're feeling fanning the flames for them? Or, or what do you think is sort of the engine behind it?
0: Oh, I think it's a couple things. I think you using the word hubris was a was spot on that. These are just some uh, these are some arrogant pastors and leaders.
1: Is it possible that they're just ill-informed? Like, is that is that a possible category?
0: It is possible, but I can't imagine ill-informed at this point. Right. Like, right. how are we ill-informed? Now we saw what the governor of Georgia said yesterday. And you're like, how can you be that ill-informed? Like, I guess it's a possibility. Yeah. Um, but we have the technology to run services. Uh, the government is allowing us to still go in and, uh, and record services. I think there's, you ask, and we have like a minute left, but I would say there's arrogance. There's grandstanding. This is a way to get like noticed, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is yeah. a way to get my name out there. And three, I think for some reason there's a certain sects of Christianity that have um that 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 have a skepticism towards all things science and all things like medical and all things whatever. And so when scientists are the ones saying you need to shut it down, this is bad, they're going, I don't believe you, you know, like I don't put much into that. And I think all of those are dangerous, and I think that's to stew where you get these, but I quite frankly think at the, at the heart of it, especially this guy trying to run the big thing in Pennsylvania, I think it's just arrogance and I want people to know who I am. And that's really dangerous right now.
1: Well, and I mentioned it last week too, but I, again, I think this, uh, this quote from Galileo is timely. He said, I do not feel obliged to believe that the same God who has endowed us with sense reason and intellect has intended us to forego their use. Yes. To me, like, that's really what it comes down to. If, if you feel like there's some sort of theological reason to keep gathering, it's okay to feel that way, but you are legitimately endangering people, probably more people than you realize. And uh, that to me, I wish would cut through the noise of like the desire to be known or the desire to be seen. Uh, And that's, and that ultimately I'd like to end on that note. Like we are praying for these pastors in these communities that they would come to their senses and lead with, you know, wisdom and with, all the available data at hand. I think that would be ultimately my prayer is that, you know, they would they would change their course.
0: Absolutely. So thanks for letting me vent a little bit right off That's the fair. bat. But we're gonna we're gonna change course next and we're gonna celebrate the work being done by hospital chaplains in this day, in this time. That's coming up next year on the common good aim eleven sixty hope for your life. everybody. Welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. Uh, My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Friday afternoon. The weather's getting a little warmer. Hopefully that puts a little bounce in your step uh, (laughs) as we are all still uh, living at home and kind of hitting pause on a lot of things right now as we go through this pandemic uh, together. And uh, we're glad to be able to have this show to hopefully offer some information, some inspiration, and uh, even some laughs along the way.
1: You know, what was the phrase from yesterday? Well, have a laugh. Have a laugh or two.
0: Have a laugh. I did not hear myself say that one more time yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably, that's apparently part of my radio vernacular.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, that's probably pretty normal to have like a a radio vocabulary or a speaking vocabulary and like a so. social vocabulary. That's pretty interesting.
0: Like I have that as, I don't know if you have that sometimes as some go-tos when you preach, but I've realized... In my life, I never like refer to people as brothers and sisters. But when I preach, I do it all the time. You really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I,
1: I do online use brother a lot. And people started responding with Hulk Hogan images. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that I, that curbed it a little bit for me. But yeah, I definitely have. I, I'm afraid to say my speaking tics. Because people might start calling me on them, no like, doubt. like the phrase "each and every one of us." I don't talk <laughs> like that, but it, sho- it shows up in sermons, and I can't help it.
0: It's so funny. It was, so maybe, maybe uh, "have a laugh" is mine for uh, for radio. Maybe that's it. My feels one for like
1: radio. It, it's a it's a British thing. I think. Oh, let's have a laugh.
0: Like it just feels very United Kingdom to me. But although I, I do I remember, I grew up on the East Coast, and I remember. Uh, talking to somebody that the phrase like throwing a ball with your, with your kid in the front yard where I grew up it was called have a catch yeah that's from Field of Dreams yeah but it was like more of an East Coast because the person I talked to was like oh we never call we would never say let's go out and have a catch and I'm like really like that's all I ever said so
1: I used the phrase with somebody uh, who lives south somewhere about like people that would never darken the door of a church and they were like what does that mean <laughs> you guys, like you guys don't have that phrase down there and they're like no <laughs>
0: That's because everybody in the South darkens the door of the church. <laughs> oh maybe that's why <laughs> <laughs> Oh that's funny. Uh, well, here's an article at the New York Times, and I found this particularly interesting because it's the New York Times, uh, so not a Christian publication, and the New York Times obviously is located where uh, at the at the heart right now of where uh the vast majority of the Uh, The death and the struggle with uh, the coronavirus is going on in New York City right now. And there was an opinion piece written at the New York Times entitled this. The men and women who run toward the dying meet the New York City chaplains praying for coronavirus patients. Let me just read Mm -hmm. the beginning of this for you. Uh, Few run toward the dying, even fewer run toward the contagious, but chaplains do. They ministered to the sick before this pandemic turned their hospitals into war zones, and they will do so after this plague subsides, whenever that day comes doctors and nurses focus on healing, the physical chaplains are there for everything else. They are men and women from every religious background and none. Their job is not to convert or to convince people to believe in God. Some even, which is interesting. Chaplains don't believe in God themselves. Hmm. Their job in the words of Reverend Malazzo, a palliative care chaplain at NYU medical center in Manhattan is to be present with people in their suffering. Theirs is a ministry of presence. Uh, So let me pause there for a second. Uh, I, as I've been watching all of the news coverage, I haven't given much thought to the chaplains who are present in like places like New York still doing their work. Now, I think there are certain things they're not able to do right now, but they're still looking for ways uh, to be present and to be helpful. And uh, as I read this, I was like, man, these are really impressive people.
1: Yeah. I, I think too, the ministry of presence is actually something that you and I have talked about on the show a number of times, well before any of this. And it's something that I feel like, you know, when we talk about David Fitch and James Hunter and some of these other writers who have done extensive work talking about the significance of presence, I feel like now more than ever, we're going to become particularly attuned to that that particular ministry like we had a a woman in our neighborhood who was driving around taking photos of neighbors uh dogs like you could schedule a slot and you could, you know take the photo from the car so you'd you know be at a distance and uh we misunderstood we signed up thinking they were like family photos or something oh (laughs) really She she pulled up and she's like oh where's your dog i'm like we don't have a dog so anyway she uh stayed and chatted with us for like 35 minutes, a neighbor that I've met maybe once or twice. And you could tell there was just like, there's was a hunger for presence, just being even near somebody. Yep. Like, I, th- I think we're all becoming far more attuned to that need, like that ache in us um, to be present with one another. And I think what chaplains are offering here, and part of what this article is talking about is saying, yeah, I have to replace a hug with words. And yes. I can't imagine in that line of work, not being able to, I mean, a hug and physical touch, that kind of presence must be so integral to what they do. And for them to still minister to, you know, run really in a lot of ways into the danger um, to be present in this way to me is like such a, such a beautiful glimpse and image of what it means to be a Christ follower. I, I love it.
0: Yeah. There's a Christianity today article that will also link uh, entitled Hospital Restrictions Bar Chaplains from Ministering Bedside. And it goes through kind of the struggle that there are a lot of areas in the country, New York included, uh, or at least parts of New York, where chaplains aren't allowed to be at the bedside. So they're having to figure out new ways to still minister. But, you know, one of the real saddest stories coming out of New York and other places around the country are that even as people are dying uh, from COVID-19, uh, family members not allowed to be there. Right and people dying alone, and so chaplains are playing this role, even with the families who can't be there, uh, being with the families and helping them process, and uh, that's such a burden uh, to have to to have to carry. And there's a uh, chaplains are having to be really creative, right? There's part of this article in Christianity Today talks about tele chaplaincy with phone calls and video conferencing becoming the norm, especially in the hardest hit areas, and so. I, you know, truthfully, I haven't given much thought to, you know, who are these chaplains at the hospital up the street from me or in other places? What is the work they're doing? How can we support them? Uh, But at the very least, I think we need to be praying for their chaplains because they're going to be on the front lines of offering, uh, like you said, the ministry of presence, the Uh spiritual care that people need and helping walk people, either the sick or the family of the sick through some incredibly dark times coming up here.
1: Yeah, I I think, too, like we've said with regards to um, medical medical care workers and people that, you know, the government have deemed essential workers. I think I think this this particular ministry is one, if you know of one in your neighborhood or in your city or even want to search one, I, I think a phone call or an email or some note of encouragement, because I mean, even thinking about the weight of that job in general is already pretty tough. Like I have a a friend who is a, she's a hospice chaplain. So she's like, she's like, I work in death. That is my nine to five. And I think she's particularly wired to do that exceptionally well. Um, But regardless, it still is. You're being faced with something that most of us run from most of our lives. Like there is a weightiness to that. And I think what is interesting to me is there's probably a lot of like on the surface, obvious danger um, particularly with this pandemic, but for chaplains in particular, I imagine there's also like an emotional, emotional, uh, cerebral, spiritual weight that's harder to identify. All yeah. that to say, they, they most certainly need to also be in our prayers. And if you know of one or an organization, send them
0: a note, send them an email, give them a phone call. I think they'd really appreciate it. Absolutely. That's well put. So be praying for the doctors, the nurses, everybody in our healthcare industry, but in, in those prayers include the hospital chaplains uh, who are really playing a front, uh, a front lines role in this uh, and need our support as well. Well, uh, over the last week or two, Ian and I have been inviting people, uh, ministry leaders and local pastors uh, t- to kind of share some encouragement and share their thoughts. And we're gonna hear next from Kurt Wiggins, pastor of Pathway Community Church, uh, also uh, the interim president of Caring Network. We're gonna talk to Kurt. We're gonna hear from Kurt next year on the Common Good AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You know, during uh, the coronavirus pandemic here at AM 1160, we know that so many businesses have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. And we know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. So if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now go to 1160 hope.com slash open for business. That's all one word 1160 hope.com slash open for business, fill out the brief form and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. This is totally free, no catch something we want to do for our listeners. So go to 1160 hope.com slash open for business. And we hope that that is helpful for you. Uh, we've been asking some local pastors, some local ministry leaders uh, to share kind of their thoughts and their reflections and their encouragements uh, in this strange, strange time that we're all a part of. Later on in the second hour, we're going to get to hear from Phil Reichen, uh, president at Wheaton College. Uh, But in this hour, we're going to hear from Kurt Wiggins. Kurt's been on the show before. Kurt is the pastor of Pathway Community Church in elmhurst so let's listen it's about four minutes long let's listen to what kurt has to say uh, and then we will respond to it
2: unprecedented times really with the rapid spread of COVID 19 and the dramatic impact this virus is having on our global society one word i keep hearing repeated over and over is the word unprecedented this is unprecedented we are living in unprecedented times at first, this didn't concern me much, but the more I heard this word being used, the more uncomfortable I felt, mainly because although this is unprecedented for our generation, this is not unprecedented historically. Now, I point this out not to minimize the seriousness of our present reality, but so we can learn from history, and in particular, how the church responded. Sociologist Rodney Stark, in his book entitled The Rise of Christianity, conservatively estimates that Christianity grew in the first century from 120 people, which you can find in Acts chapter 1 verse 15, to 33 million Christians by the middle of the fourth century. Incredible. In order for this kind of growth rate to occur, the church had to grow at a 40% growth rate per decade. Stark goes on to give three solid reasons for the rise of Christianity. One of the primary reasons Christianity grew so rapidly was their response to global pandemics. Stark claims that two widespread and deadly epidemics, one in the mid-2nd century and one in the mid-3rd century, played a significant role in the spread of Christianity for the following reasons. First, Christians cared for each other, leading to greater survival rates. This in turn led to an increased proportion of Christians in urban centers, which meant more people's lives intersected with networks of Christians at a time when traditional social bonds were disrupted by these epidemics. And second, Christians cared for non-Christians, bringing these non-believers into the sphere of Christian influence. Now, in case you doubt his conclusions, Carolyn Wazer, in her 2016 article in The Atlantic entitled The Plagues That Might Have Brought Down the Roman Empire, draws the same conclusions. She said the third century plague of Cyprian remains stubbornly unidentifiable despite various historians' guesses, ranging from smallpox to measles. Tissue taken from skeletons buried around the time of the epidemic and mass graves recently uncovered in Egypt and Rome will surely be analyzed thoroughly. Because the 3rd century was a crucial time of growth and definition for the early Christian church, the plague of Cyprian came to take on a deep spiritual meaning for pagans and Christians alike. She goes on to say, For Bishop Cyprian, the plague that came to bear his name was hard proof of the superiority of Christianity over traditional Roman religion. Seeing the pestilence as an opportunity to put their most deeply held beliefs into action, early Christians beautifully set about caring for the sick and giving proper burials to the dead. On the other side of the religious divide, the pagan establishment was overwhelmed with fear, much like we are today. Traditionally, Roman priests interpreted epidemics as a sign of displeasure from the gods. The epidemic undermined the social fabric of pagan society, while the orderly response of the Christian community, especially in the burial of the dead, presented a stark contrast. At a time like this, it's important for us to learn from our brothers and sisters and their response to the pandemics they face in order to encourage us today. May the world know that we are Christians by the love we show during this unprecedented time. Well, thank you for, Kurt, for sharing that.
0: Uh, Ian, I'd say uh, he does make a valid point about unprecedented times. I would say that they're unprecedented for us, that that's really what I've been calling it, unprecedented times uh, over and over again. And I would say, while not historically unprecedented, I would say it's generationally unprecedented for us. Sure. Sure. Um, But what were some takeaways from there? What were some uh, thoughts to what he had to say there?
1: Yeah, I, I had the same reaction to the beginning part of it. I don't know that I necessarily would take that tack or that tone myself, but, you know, I, I like where he ended up talking about, you know, part of what has been a hallmark of the church from the beginning is how it cares for the hurting, how it cares for the sick, how it cares for the marginalized. And what I, what I find so fascinating about that is we have uh, considerable historical records of people who were not Christ followers writing about this radical generosity of these Jesus people and mm-hmm. sometimes with great frustration, sort of like how do you stop a movement like that? They don't even, they don't just care for their own poor and hurting. They care for ours as well. And that is, you can sense almost the frustration of like, uh, I don't agree with any of what they're doing, but that's going to be a problem. If they keep loving people with that level of generosity, right. um, we're going to have a hard time stomping them out. And I, I find that so fascinating because especially in this like now digital reality, it seems like everyone's thinking about how do we create the best sort of digital package with the best sound or the best and all those things are good. And I think, you know, we have a lot of artists and a lot of technicians who are working tirelessly to create a robust online experience. And I'm super, super grateful for that. However, it does for me, I don't want, I don't want what it means to be a Christ follower in the world to get overshadowed. We're still called, We're still challenged, we're still commissioned to love our neighbors, love our neighborhood. What does it look like for the church here and now, not just to quote unquote, pull off a good Sunday experience, but to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Because it's always, it's always been like central to the DNA of a Christ follower. And I don't think that commission has changed, even though our circumstances
0: most certainly have. Absolutely. And And I like how we ended by talking about a verse that you learn if you grew up in the church, you learn in Sunday school very early, but it feels like. Uh, like we've talked about so much of our theology, uh, th- something as crazy as a global pandemic kind of takes your theology and makes it, uh, forces you to ask the question like, is it actually how I live or how we live? Uh, the whole, may the world know that we're Christians by our love. Uh, I can remember singing songs with that line as a little kid, right? Right, right. And, uh, but this call to, uh, is that how the church is going to be known, uh, when this is all said and done, are they going to look at us? Uh, and I, I, you know, it, it's hard because we're not this monolithic thing. Uh, but in general, <clears throat> will our culture look at the churches uh, and go, you know what? They loved really well. They loved really well in this time. Will they know us by our love uh, that we as Christians are called to? So, uh, I think that's a that's a good reminder. Thanks to Kurt for sharing. As we said in the second hour, we're going to get to hear from Phil Reichen. And uh, we're excited for that. Well, coming up next, uh, we're going to talk about some um, leadership notes in, given in an article uh, by Craig Grochelle Leading Through Crisis. Uh, Craig Grochelle is going to share with us in this article coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simkins. my name is Brian Fromm. Happy Friday. Uh, It's a different Friday than we're accustomed to, but hopefully you're having a good day. And uh, we're glad that you are joining us. As always, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. Find our podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast, uh, subscribe, rate, and review, uh, share it with somebody. Hopefully it is helpful in this, uh, difficult time. Well, speaking of being helpful, a lot of us are worried about our finances or thinking through that. And we would love to point you to an organization that we love called Thrivent Financially. And why don't you tell us more about Thrivent?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Before I even talk about the whole career aspect of it, if you, uh, are looking for an organization to help you manage your money or manage your insurance, or at the very least, even just be a resource, check out thriving.com. I mean, I've been a thriving member for better part of a decade. It's a fortune 500 not-for-profit that's been around for over a century, which is amazing. So I definitely encourage you to check out just thriving.com. But also a lot of us I know are maybe considering a career change of some kind. Maybe you're really entrepreneurial or you like come alongside people. Maybe you've always wanted to work for or with a Christian organization, either way, it's probably worth at least checking out. You can go to thrivent.com slash careers. That's thrivent.com slash careers, or you can just call 630-598-2128. And uh, I don't think you'll regret doing that.
0: Yeah, I think there places like Thrivent are needed more now than ever. Yeah, 100%. Um, and not even just right now, but for the next, who knows how long, the next year, or whatever else. So we would encourage you, uh, to get connected with them. Well, the Global Leadership Network, uh, Craig Grishel, founder and senior pastor of Life Church, uh, which is doing some great work. Everything from, you know them from the Version Bible app. Right now, they put out for free their church. They're helping smaller churches get online. And I think I read 18,000 or 13,000 churches are using their free online platform. Wow. Uh, just some really impressive stuff. Well, Craig Griselle is the founder and the senior pastor of Life Church, uh, and he wrote an article uh, that is part of his notes from an earlier talk called "Leading Through Crisis." And he said, "In my original talk, was about defeating the four enemies of growth, but I couldn't predict the fifth enemy, COVID nineteen. This is a complicated and difficult time. It is an unprecedented season in our lifetime. There are no clear answers, and we're in un." charter territory. And he goes on to talk about all the fears that we're facing. And he says, in in light of all of that today, I want to give you a perspective, some suggestions and encouragement uh, and uh, kind of help along the way. And before we dive into it, uh, it's interesting, right, man, that every pastor of every size church right now, from the small church to Grishel, who by some metrics has the biggest church in the country, are really wrestling with the same thing right now.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, because it is sort of a great equalizer that we're all like, obviously, some churches maybe have a more robust infrastructure in place so that when all of this hit, they were more prepared to launch something like this. Um, But it is sort of, I think of like the Martin Luther King Jr. quote where he says, we we may have come on different ships, but we're all in the same boat now. Like Mm. we all have come from different backgrounds with different skill sets and different training, but we're all kind of it is interesting about this commonality that we're all facing to some degree right now. And churches are taking obviously very different approaches based on their capacity, but it is interesting to me. It's almost, almost this like situational ecumenism, like, okay, yeah, we have some disagreement doctrinally and missionally and in terms of our ecclesiology. But right now we are all facing this together. And I, I think that's a pretty unique, almost, almost beautiful moment that the church has to see the big
0: seed church as like really in this together. Absolutely. So uh, he's going to talk about a lot of things. We'll put this up on our Facebook page, but he talks about four tiers of effectiveness. He's basically saying you can take all of what you're going through right now uh, as a leader, right? Say you're leading a church as you're thinking through things. He says, number one is what is mission critical? What is of the most importance? Number two, what is strategic and important? Number three, what is important but not essential? And number four, what is externally initiated? And he says, Mm -hmm. in this time, keep focused on tier one and tier two topics. Focus on mission critical. Uh, You're going to be tempted to do a lot of things. Don't, he says. Everyone is going to have ideas, good ideas. Focus on your energy uh, toward the biggest priorities. I think that's really helpful because right now I know as a pastor, I feel a little overwhelmed by the number of things we can do and the number of things that are out there to think in terms of what is like mission critical that gets the most of our attention and what's uh, m- what's important right now. Uh, and, th- and to focus on those two things, I think is really helpful kind of buckets to think in terms of.
1: Yeah. And he, he follows that up with uh, two things when you're devising a plan that I think yes. are really helpful. One expect to get it wrong. There is no it's roadmap. Here. You'll have a lot of false starts. Things are changing too rapidly. Tell your team you'll be adapting. Like that is one of those things that, I think we assume people know, especially as leaders, but over communicating, okay, like, hey, we're going to be adapting. We're making this up as we go. We're building the plane mid flight. Like there's just over articulating that I think is helpful. So number one, expect to get it wrong. Number two, think long-term, but limit your plan to short term. He says, people ask me, how long is this going to last? Will this be over in a few weeks? I have no idea. I have to plan to do church online long-term because I'd rather be pleasantly surprised than constantly disappointed. How long? I'd be foolish to predict that, but I'm thinking long-term and deciding day-to-day, hour-by-hour. Things are changing every day. Be wise to think worst-case scenario, but don't create fear. Um, I think that idea of kind of balancing what we're thinking about, but how we're planning is a, that's a fine needle to thread, but it's a really helpful one regardless of, what you lead or how you lead. I think those two, those two things to keep in mind are really helpful.
0: Absolutely. And then he goes on to say, uh, here's how we need to communicate these things. He says, one, communicate empathetically. He says, unfortunately, most of your team members first thought isn't about your business, your nonprofit or your church by nature. They're asking how will this impact me and my family? They're understandably afraid. You will want to challenge, acknowledge their fears. I'm sorry. And to speak to them, help them know you understand what they are feeling Don't be afraid to say what people are. So he's saying, be empathetic. And I think regardless of where you're at, when you talk to your family, your friends, your coworkers, people you lead, empathy is so important in this time right now.
1: Yeah, totally agree. I think it's important too, because especially for the most strategic of thinkers, sometimes empathy is lower down on the rung. And uh, I think making that a priority is really important. He talks about communicating truthfully, tell the truth, even when the truth is negative, uncertain, or scary this is so important. And he mentions, and we've talked about this on the show. I've seen a lot of leaders say, it's going to be fine. It'll be over in no time. But yeah. as leaders, uh, we don't motivate through a crisis. We lead through a crisis. That, I'm going to say that one again. Wow! As That's leaders, good. as leaders, we don't motivate through a crisis. We lead through a crisis. This is not a time for motivation. This is a time for wise decisions and leading through the crisis. Be realistic and truthful. Jim Collins writes about this in Good to Great, I don't have time to get into that. If you've not read Good to Great, by the way, you should go read it because it's amazing. But in general, shoot your people straight, be truthful, be honest. I think that is wise, wise,
0: wise. Yeah, and then about communication, he says, communicate frequently. He says, you cannot over communicate. Every day, things are changing. Sometimes by the hour, every day, they have new questions. And I think this is important. It's always important, but specifically in a time like this, if you're leading something, because people are going to fill in the gaps, Right. Right. They're going to fill in the gaps of like, okay, if I haven't heard, well, then we must be doing this or this must be going on or whatever else. I think especially when people have so much time on their hands right now, regular, frequent FaceTime and communication as a leader, uh, you can't overdo that enough right now.
1: Craig Groschell, man, with the real grand slam, I think he's, uh, he's on to some really important things here. And it is helpful to know that this is someone, I appreciate even the tone of the article Absolutely. because he's not assuming the posture of some expert who's figured it all out. Like he himself is clearly like working some of this stuff out too. I, it always is refreshing to me to see leaders, especially like high capacity leaders who are willing to admit like, hey, here's some stuff that's helpful. And here's some of the stuff that we
0: just don't have answers
1: for yet. Like I appreciate that humility
0: absolutely so thankful for that article or those notes from craig grischel you can find them at our facebook page the common good radio show well the first hours in the books coming up next we're gonna uh read something that max lucado wrote uh that lucado uh, lucado max lucado lucado what do you go with I think, I'm a Luc- I think i'm a lucado guy i think i'm a lucado guy so we're gonna we're gonna argue that next on the common good <laughs> <laughs> am 1160 hope for your life <laughs>
1: Hey, everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial, I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea, to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea, what if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, But they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrivent, to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you,
0: I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour on The Common Good, uh, we're going to read some encouragement from Max Lucado, uh, and then we're going to hear from Phil Reichen, president of Wheaton College. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody, welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. We're glad that you're joining us on this Friday evening. Uh, hope that you're doing well. Uh, You can find all the articles that we talk about and even more on our Facebook page at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com and get our podcast wherever it is you find your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, We've been asking people for encouragement, and I did come across a, a short uh, writing by Max Lucado. Lu, now you got me. I want to say, I think I do want to say Max Lucado. I mean, you do you, Brian. This is America. I think I do. Earlier I was saying Max Lucado. So we're going to go with both. Tomato, tomato, Lucado, Lucado right there. You go with what you want. Wow. Well done. Uh, but, but he wrote something that was then posted uh, by Randy Alcorn. Uh, Lucado wrote, Surviving April. And I want to just read it for us. Because his writing is always so good, and it taps into the emotions a lot of us are feeling. So it's going to be a couple minutes. Let me read it for us, and then, Ian, I'll have you uh, kind of reflect on it first here, all right? He writes, this isn't the April we wanted. We wanted spring training. We wanted to go to church on Easter Sunday. We wanted a weekend trip to see the spring flowers. We wanted the Masters golf tournament. I love the Masters. I don't just like it. I love it, he writes. I keep pictures of Amen Corner on my computer screen. I love April. But this April, this isn't the April we wanted. But this is the April we've been handed daily reports of disease and death, an economy that's in free fall, uh, dwindling supplies, another 30 days of distance and isolation, and most of all, a month of fear. Mm -hmm. We fear for our family. We fear for the health of our health workers. We fear this microscopic COVID-19 culprit that stalks our streets like a thief. So we need to brace ourselves, adjust our expectations. April as we wanted will not happen. God willing, it will reappear in 2021. But the 2020 version, it's time for a deep breath, a steady resolve, and a few decisions. I'm thinking of three essential emotional tools. First is gratitude. Collect your blessings, catalog God's kindnesses, assemble your reasons for gratitude and recite them. Always be joyful, the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Thessalonians. Pray continually and give thanks for whatever happens. This is what God wants for you in Christ Jesus. Look at the totality of those terms. Uh, Always be joyful, pray continually, give thanks, whatever happens. Gratitude is always an option. Matthew Henry made it his, When the 18th century British minister and scholar was accosted by thieves and robbed of his purse, he wrote in his diary, let me be thankful first, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they robbed by all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Uh, Query some gratitude and be kind to others. Be the family member who offers to wash the dishes. Be the colleague who reaches out to check on the team. Be the neighbor who mows the grass of the elderly couple. You'll be better because of it. Research bears this out. Studies have shown that giving to help others triggers dopamine. When volunteers wearing a functional MRI scanner were told they would be giving money to charity, the areas of their brain associated with pleasure, like food and sex, lit up like Christmas trees. Seeking joy? Do something good for someone else. It's always better to give than receive. It's time for gratitude. It's time to serve others and time for determination. Good old-fashioned grit. A resolve that says, I'm not giving into fear. I'm not caving unto despair. With God as my helper, I'm going to weather this storm. Uh, some years ago, he writes, I had the honor of meeting an American hero, General Robbie Risner. For seven and a half years, North Vietnamese soldiers held him and dozen of other soldiers in a POW camp in Hanoi misery came standard issue solitary confinement starvation tortures and beatings were routine interrogators twisted uh, broken legs sliced skin cram sticks and paper in mouths screams echoed throughout the camp listen to uh Raz uh, Risner's description everything was sad and dismal it was almost the essence of despair If you could have squeezed the feeling out of the word despair, it would have come out gray, dull, and lead-colored, dingy and dirty. So how do you survive seven and a half years in such a hole? Cut off from family, no news from the U.S. What do you do? Here is what Risner did. He stared at a blade of grass. Several days into his incarceration, he wrestled the grate off a floor vent, stretched out his belly, lowered his hand into the opening, and peered through a pencil-sized hole in the brick and mortar at a single blade of grass aside from this stem his world had no color so he began his days head in vent heart in prayer staring at the green blade of grass he called it a blood transfusion for the soul you don't have to go to hanoi to face the gray dull and lead colored dingy and dirty existence a pandemic will do just fine so what risner did go on a search Crowbar the grate from your for the grate from your place of isolation and stick your head out. Fix your eyes on hope, gratitude, others, determination. G O D, He is still in charge. He's still Emmanuel, God with us. Heaven still awaits. The tomb of Christ is still vacant. Children still laugh and grass still turns green in April. Find a blade and set your gaze on it. No, it's not the month we wanted but it's the month we've been given and we will get through it. That's from Max Lucado at maxlucado.com that he posted just the other day. Besides loving how he can write, sometimes I'm just jealous of other people's writing ability. What did you think about what Lucado wrote there?
1: Yeah, it was beautiful, man. I think it's, it's such an important word too in a time where there's a lot of noise and there's always been a lot of noise. So I don't think the noise necessarily is new, but the tone... And tenor of the noise is different kind of to use his phrase right the the dark and gray like that seems to be someone that the other day was describing it like a cloud like it just feels like this yep. cloud over their mind over their soul like i'm like i'm thinking of philippians 4 right where he says whatever's true whatever's noble whatever's right whatever's pure whatever's lovely whatever's admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, they think about such things like i don't think he was issuing some sort of like Self help like yeah, this will get you through your day. I think that there is something intrinsically uh, in our wiring that when we can actually choose to to gaze at that blade of grass, mm-hmm. not just glance at it that 's the problem. I think we often like glance at that which is beautiful. And then we like gaze at that, which is problematic. I think we need to reverse the order. You know what I mean? Like, I think, mm. you know, we have a tendency to linger on the negative and we're like, oh, nice sunset, oh, baby laughing or, you know, like that, that kind of stuff we appreciate. But I don't know that we typically do a good job of like really marinating in it in a little bit. And I think, yeah. you know, brain research shows, too, that when it comes to negativity, our brains are like Velcro. When it comes to beauty and positivity, our brains are like Teflon, mm. uh, our brain naturally latches onto the ugly, the dark, the despondent, and there's plenty of that to find right now. Our brain really struggles to really reap the benefits of experiencing something beautiful, which is why things like gratitude and meditation and even just carving out space to experience the beautiful, I think is really, really important and really underrated in a lot of ways. Like maybe the challenge even this weekend is if you'd be inclined to just notice the sunset and then move on, force yourself to stop. And actually like watch it for two minutes, Uh, a joke or something that your kid did or something that they made or something you see like the, the idea that Paul would know uh, thousands of years earlier that it's really important to think about what's right and pure and lovely. I think that as a spiritual discipline is super important.
0: Absolutely. I was telling you earlier in the show that last night we had a bonfire outside. We made s'mores and we ate around the fire. My kids were laughing and jumping on the trampoline And I did have this moment before I'd ever read this this beautiful writing by Lucado, of like just looking around and being like, "Oh, okay, like it's good to hear laughter. I don't need to be uh, all despaired at all times here." And uh, it, it was just this moment, like he said, like I love how he acknowledges in the beginning, "This isn't the April we wanted," and we acknowledge, guys, that there's people out there suffering life and death you know, moments right right now. Like I, we don't want to underplay that, but for most of us, that's not the case at the moment. Uh, But there's still despair. There's still loss. There's still sadness. Uh, And man, that imagery that he picks up there from from that soldier of just staring at the blade of grass and having a little bit of color in your day. uh, I found so helpful. So we'll post this at our uh, Facebook page surviving April uh, by Max Lucado uh, we would encourage you to read it over again. Well, coming up next, we're uh, going to glean some encouragement from Phil Reichen, the president of Wheaton College, giving us some encouragement in these crazy times. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We uh, count it as an honor Uh, to be uh, in your life and hoping to be a help at all in this crazy time that we are living in. Uh, You can continue to find the articles that we've posted at our Facebook page, uh, the common good radio show. You can find them on Twitter at common good talk as well. Find our show online at 1160 hope.com and uh, get our podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, one of the things we've been saying over and over again is we've been trying to get the voices of other ministry leaders, other pastors uh, in this time to help uh, give encouragement and, and process all that's going on in our lives right now. And so with that in mind, uh, we are really excited to have some audio from Phil Reichen. Uh, Phil Reichen is the president of Wheaton College, my alma mater. Uh, also, before being the president of Wheaton, he was a pastor you know, I believe it. Uh, what is it, 10th Presbyterian Church, maybe in Philadelphia, other places, a prolific author. Uh, so we're excited to be able to hear from Phil Reichen. Let's hear from Phil right now, and then we will uh, react to it.
3: Hi, my name is Phil Reichen. I'm the president of Wheaton College. And in this time of global pandemic, when many are fearful of COVID-19 and its financial implications all over the world, I've been asked to give just a few words of hope and encouragement I wanted to do that just from my own experience. What's been helpful for me during this difficult season? Um, you know, I I've faced some of the same challenges. I think many people have their financial worries. Your concern about your health, with every little tickle you have in your throat. There are people you know that are suffering, loss of jobs, uh, grieving over a death anxious for their loved ones. We're going through all of that right now. It's happening all over the world. But you know, God wants to help us through this time. Uh, He has gifts for us through His Spirit that can give us courage and help us persevere. Uh, I've drawn a lot of help and encouragement from the Word of God, Uh, specifically Psalm 91, which we're memorizing together as a family. Uh, It gives us such great confidence that when we shelter ourselves under the Most High, that we are covered under the shadow of the Almighty. He, we're covered with His wings. He's our refuge and our fortress. That's the encouragement we have from the Word of God. We also have the gift of prayer. Um, there are many things that are just so far out of our control. Um, concern for people who are sick those who have suffered the loss of, of someone they love, uh, very concerned for healthcare workers, for people who are without a job, who are very concerned about paying the rent, just all of the troubles that we're having in the world, the people that you care for, your own worries, all of that can be turned over to God in prayer. Uh, he's big enough to handle all of it. He really hears us when we pray, and it's an encouragement to be able to unburden ourselves in that way. I've also taken courage from singing God's praise. We've been doing that as a family, around the dinner table, after dinner, singing a hymn together every night and uh, just enjoying being in the presence of God, giving him the praise and the honor, and also just taking courage from reciting the promises of God by by putting them into song. And we've been doing that together. That's another resource we have. It's just the, the Christian community, the body of Christ. We're, we're isolated. We're separated. We can't give one another a big hug the way that we would like to, but there are still ways for us to encourage one another with our words, to uh, write notes of encouragement. Uh, to set up an internet conversation with family and friends. I've reached out to some people I haven't talked to in a long time just to give them encouragement, receive their encouragement in return. Uh, As a family, we've been trying to exercise more have more fun activities together, just just being together with the body of Christ and reaching out in all the ways that we can and uh, there 's one other thing that I want to mention that 's been a help to me, and that 's the the words of believers in years past. We, our fathers and mothers in the faith in so many ways, were people of great courage and they faced dangers and difficulties. Just as great as what we are facing. Uh, Early on as I was wrestling with the implications of the coronavirus, what that would mean for me, for my family, for Wheaton College, for the church in the world, I was really helped by reading one of the letters of Martin Luther. You know, during the time of the Reformation, uh, he had a struggle in the face of, of the Black Death, the plague that was ravaging Europe. Uh, many people died in those days. It was a very fearful time. And Luther had just such wide, wise words for his fellow believers. He said, um, you know, if there's a chance that, that you might spread contagion, you need to stay at home. They were practicing distancing in those days as well. But Luther also said, if you have an opportunity to serve someone else, even at the risk of your own health and livelihood, as a follower of Christ, you should make that sacrifice. When, when it's time for you to go to, to your eternal reward, the Lord's going to find you anyway. Uh, don't hold on to your life as, as something that is so precious you can't give it away. But, but serve the Lord in all the ways that you can. That, that was the, the essence of Luther's message. Such wise words for us today as we're dealing with all the implications of COVID-19 worldwide. So take courage in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Make use of them. The word of God and prayer, singing, encouraging the body of Christ, benefiting from the wisdom of other believers. Um, God has a good purpose for his people in the face of this suffering, he's going to help us persevere. Let's persevere together with great hope and confidence in the living God.
0: So really grateful uh, for Dr. Rikin taking the time to share there. Ian, what did you take? What did you glean from Dr. Rikin's words there?
1: Yeah, man, he's, he's really good. I mean, much like, uh, you know, the president over at Jetson University, Gene Kroom, I'm amazed at the wisdom that these leaders have to not just like run a big organization, but like just the pastoral insight and like spirit sensitivity. I don't know. I'm, I'm just feeling particularly grateful. I, a couple yeah. of things stood out. I've uh, been loving the Psalms. It's been refreshing to have a, a season where diving into the Psalms, having, you know, knowing that I read them already, reading them kind of with a new fresh perspective with what we're facing right now, the idea that God's, God's big enough to handle whatever we bring to him. You know, this is something that I'm really passionate about. Like you don't have to sanitize your prayers to bring them to Mm. God. If it's anger, if it's fear, if it's frustration, like just reiterating over and over again to our community, to our church, to our audience, like he can handle all of that. You don't have to clean it up first. You don't have to pretend that it's something different. Like he's there in the midst of all of that. I love the idea of, of singing praises, like something that I've missed a little bit because I'm, not a good singer at all. <laughs> so sometimes there's a lot of uh, joy in like attending a church service where, you know, no one can really hear you sing. That's right. Was, that's freeing a little bit. I haven't sung a whole lot lately. That's just not something that I've done um, since, since being under stay at home and all that. So that, that wasn't a, a challenge to me. My wife has a beautiful voice. So maybe I can convince her to <laughs> lead us in some worship around the house. Cause I, yeah, I, I think I could definitely use more of that in my life.
0: What about you? What, what stood out? You know, I do love just Psalm 91. Like you said, it has been interesting, and we we'll probably shouldn't be surprised by it, but this draw to the, to the Psalms in this time, yeah. uh, because the Psalms are just full of emotions, emotions of, of gratitude, thankfulness, and kind of victory, but also emotions of despair and despondency and kind of where are you, God, yeah. uh, and, and being drawn to the Psalms. And that Psalm being, you know, we've all read that verse before about being covered under the shadow of the Almighty uh, just the imagery there of Psalm 91 that that God is present, God is uh, is is there, and so the word there from from Doctor Ryken is that, there, and therefore that leads to singing God's praises, right? To enjoying being in His presence, to to getting getting our courage from being in His presence, and then I also appreciated his hearkening back to believers in years past, like not just hearkening back to the Bible stories and what we see, but you know, going back to Martin Luther, going back to other believers whose examples we can look at and find encouragement from.
1: Yeah, and I think too that it's something that we've mentioned a number of times to not put on pause the the charge to love our neighbor. You know, like I think of Paul in 1 Corinthians saying, whether you're eating or drinking or whatever you're doing, right? Uh, do all of that to the glory of the Lord. Like there's a, a certain shift in what we can and can't do right now, but I think it's still... Maybe even more important, to be honest, that we're we're still prioritizing if, if you have an opportunity to serve someone. And I'm not saying we can do everything, but like we've mentioned in previous segments, maybe it's mowing the grass of an elderly neighbor. Maybe it's simply just calling your local hospital to offer a word of encouragement. There's plenty of things that we still can do uh, in a quarantine state in the midst of a pandemic to be the love of Jesus to the world. Like, I just I feel really strongly. I want to challenge people like don't give up that aspect of it. Yes. I know that you know, a lot of us are still panicked about having enough toilet paper or having enough groceries, or we're worried about our finance stream. All of those are totally legitimate, but let's not abandon the call to serve and love our neighbor and our community. And I think there's
0: opportunities for us to be really creative in figuring out how to do that. Absolutely. And yeah, that call at the end there to just, uh, If you have the opportunity to help, do something. Because, you know, don't get lost of like, what's the greatest thing I could do right now and miss the opportunities day to day uh, in front of us. So we want to thank Dr. Reichen and everybody uh, who's been coming on to share words. I have found them uh, super encouraging, and I hope that you have found them encouraging as well. Coming up next, uh, an article out of Christianity Today from Ed Stetzer. Uh, We're going to discuss that article next year on the Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to the common good AM 1160 hope for your life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian from, uh, you had a lot of good content today that we would love for you to interact with. You could do that at our Facebook page, the common good radio show. That's the common good radio show. You can find us on Twitter, uh, common good talk, and you can find us online at 1160 hope.com. As always get our podcast, wherever it is, you get your podcast, subscribe rate review, uh, go ahead and, and do that. And uh, my daughter, she was explaining uh podcast to somebody yesterday. And I really liked how she did it. She explained podcasts as kind of like TV for your ears. <laughs> wow. That's good. Like it's a short amount of time. It's not like listening to a whole book. And uh, yeah, I was like, oh, TV for your ears. I'll go with that one. So that's good. <laughs> wow. Something exciting going on here at AM 1160, we want to make sure that you are aware of that during this coronavirus pandemic, we do know that so many businesses have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. But we also know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. So if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So, right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. That's 1160hope.com, all one word, open for business. Fill out the brief form, and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. So, here's the best part it's totally free, no catch. We're doing this as a service. Uh, to our listeners who may be small business owners uh, who may be struggling at this time. So go to 1160 com slash open for business, fill out the form, and hopefully it will be a help for you business owners out there who are still trying to make it. Uh, well, at uh, Christianity Today, Ed Stetzer hosts a blog called Missio Mondays, and uh, well, he's called The Exchange, his blog, and part of that of The Exchange is Missio Mondays. Uh, and on that blog this past Monday, Jeff Christofferson wrote this, the greatest gospel question of this moment, how are you doing? What's going on in this blog post by Jeff Christofferson?
1: Yeah, I like the subheading. He says, two weeks ago, the question, how are you doing, was a passing gesture that meant relatively little. Mm-hmm. Things have changed. So this is how he opens. It says, for some of us, it's hard to think about mission right now. This sentiment is surely understandable. Pastors and church leaders are scrambling to discern the best path forward to love and lead the sheep entrusted to their care. This work, combined with genuine personal anxiety about the coming crisis, sickness and death, leaves many with little mental or emotional margin to consider how to best care for those outside of the flock. Yet such efforts are needed perhaps now more than ever. Our last Decade stands as a condemning witness to almost every tribe for the lack of prioritization in disciple making. Many have authored compelling articles, which included undeniable stats of languishing evangelism numbers. The call for increased efforts in evangelism often elicit resounding amens from pews to tribal leaders alike. Yet even with all the hearty amens, the numbers suggest that we've failed to make progress here. Could it be, that this moment of global crisis comes with a sovereign reawakening from our complacent self-fascination to a renewed commitment uh, to our King's commission. There seems to be three means of gospel engagement that never changes. Disciples of Jesus are always positioned with these three tools in their missionary arsenal, what we say, what we do, and how we respond. Let's think about each in light of the current COVID-19 pandemic and how we might effectively lean into each for missionary engagement. So I'll pause there. You know, we read a little earlier from Craig Grouchel who had kind of said, um, not the opposite necessarily, but I think his quote was, we don't motivate through a crisis. We lead through it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would be curious, even at this point in the article, what people think like, Hey, is this a time to be thinking missionally as a church, or is this more of a time to focus on, you know, making sure our people are okay? Is it a both and? Does it depend on the size? Like, I'd love to know how you're even grappling with that, Brian, from pastoring a church. Where where do you land on sort of the care for the flock, missional
0: engagement, teeter-totter? Yeah, I, I think it's a both and at the moment. It's funny, I was on a Zoom call having this exact conversation yesterday, yeah. Again, something that's new for all of us. I was on a Zoom call is now a normal part of our vernacular that a month yeah, ago, right. I wouldn't even know what that meant. Probably eventually um, it's going to be like, I was Zooming the other day. Yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> Just it a verb. Um, and we were having this exact conversation because, you know, a church our size uh, with with finances to put towards this kind of stuff, but, you know, it's somewhat limited. You want to ask that question. Is it best put towards our people? or organizations. And what we kind of landed on, at least in this short term, at least in the beginning is what we're going to do is uh, have a fund that's kind of for our people. uh, Like as we hear needs in, in our flock, in our church family, but we also want to encourage use of some of our money uh, to help people in our church reach their neighbors. So it's kind of like the next step away from our church Uh, And then thirdly, help organizations. What I definitely don't want to be doing is to be trying to help so that our name gets out there so that uh, it becomes a way for people to hear about our church, to even come to our church. What I want to do is I want to use our money and our time uh, to encourage our people, help our people in need, and then help the people in their lives who are in need. Yeah. Uh, and then the third way is to help organizations who are helping people in need. So that's kind of the way that I'm thinking through it, kind of the three buckets. Yeah. Um, how are you thinking about this right now?
1: That's good. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time there. I want to get to the rest of the article, but we, yep. it's sort of a bull fan for us to, you know, and I mentioned a couple of times communitychristian.org slash cares is sort of our main vehicle by which we're mobilizing people. And we've identified, you know, the 11 greatest needs or greatest areas in yep. our community and mobilized teams. And they're, I mean, they've just done an incredible job. And then, you know, hyper communicating to our church and leading. Uh, morning devotionals every day at 8 a.m. and evening worship at 8 p.m. So that's sort of the care for the flock thing. So that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole, there's yep. a whole lot going on. But I want to I want to mention, okay, so he talks about what we say, what we do, and how we respond. And I don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to fly through a couple of these. Go for it. He talks about what we say. The gospel is multifaceted. This is the brilliance of God's plan. God's redemptive work is impossible to contain in one image or concept. So, the biblical writers use many different pictures to convey the glory of God of what God has done for us in Christ. And I don't have time to unpack them, but he talks about reconciliation, justification, salvation, and then he talks about what we do. Disciples of Jesus demonstrate the veracity of their words through physical acts that model the character of Christ. Now, more than ever, it's vital that God's people do just that. Gospel engagement must be practical and tangible. In its demonstration, what types of actions should become normative for Jesus followers? He says uh, meaningful conversations, humble service, thoughtful intentionality, mm. astounding generosity. And then lastly, he talks about how we respond. He says our words and actions matter and they combine to create clear patterns of response that others observe. If our words communicate one thing, but the posture of our actions communicates something different, we then undermine our integrity, betray our primary allegiance, and flush our missional opportunity. What types of responses should define Jesus' church? He offers a few. He says, steady resolve, confident hope, bold risk. And again, there's a whole lot more there. It's yep. on our Facebook page. I'd encourage you to read the whole thing because it's really challenging, and it's, it's just organized in a really helpful way. But I'd love to know what in any of those categories like most stood out to you as you were reading it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It's the very last one, this bold risk, because I've been wrestling with that personally. And as a pastor, like, what does that look when we're sheltered in place? (laughs) You know, like right. And he says here, he says uh, churches and leaders have always moved toward crisis rather than run from it. Shelter in place orders need not confine the church to self-preserving passivity. Hmm. We should be the people looking for every way to enter lives to help the hurting and without who are without hope. I like that, man. That's, that's been one I've wrestling with. Like what's boldness look like in a time where we're kind of having to sit on the sidelines of life. It feels like, so I appreciate the way he tackled it. Did one jump out for you as well?
1: Yeah. I kind of just want to like read some other ones here because when he's talking about the middle one here about what we actually do, the meaningful conversations one, you know, when how are you was sort of just a passing gesture, you know, things have changed. The question has supernaturally shifted from a meaningless greeting to an inquiry into the soul He talks also about thoughtful intentionality. Has there ever been a time when bringing a package of toilet paper to a neighbor actually made more sense? He talks about astounding generosity. We all know that the implications of the crisis extend to every aspect of life and every domain of society. The rebuilding process could take years. We as followers of Jesus who understand that everything that we have is a gift from God can life open handedly as we selfishly share Uh, With others, a faith-filled church generously meeting the needs of a fear-filled community will reposition its sometimes rumpled reputation back to the character of its founder, capital F founder. I think, I don't know, man. I'm
0: going to read this one again later because it's really, really good. There's a lot there. It's It's up at our Facebook page, so we'd encourage you to go engage with it. You can read it there. Well, coming up next, we've stayed committed to trying to have some laughs, and we're going to do that. We're going to end the show the <laughs> way a laugh. we always do. Have Oh, I did it. I did it. <laughs> we are committed to laughing together. <laughs> we do that with interweb insanity. That's going to come up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins
1: here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent, where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop. Uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that—to to be wise with money and to live generously—and that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously, and that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so, if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today.
0: Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to the Common Good. Aim 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We like to laugh together when we end the show. We've always done this since the beginning of our show uh, with a little segment we call Interweb Insanity. We read uh, stories from the from the uh, internet given to us by our producers. We haven't read them, and so uh, we hope to laugh with you. Sometimes we cringe with you around them. Uh, but before we jump into these, Ian, tell us once again about Thrivent.
1: I would love to, first off, I recommend going to Thrivent.com just in general. You mentioned it earlier. A lot of us maybe are feeling really uncertain about our finances. I can't recommend them enough. Uh, if you're not familiar, it's a Fortune 500 nonprofit for profit that's been around for more than a century but I also know that a lot of us are maybe really considering a career change. And if you're entrepreneurial or you like helping people or you've always kind of wanted to work for a Christian organization, uh, this would be an incredible opportunity. So you can go to Thrivent.com slash careers. That's Thrivent.com slash careers or just call 630-598-2128. Because I mean... What could the harm be? At the very least, you're socially isolated. You call the number and you're going to talk to another human person like
0: that. That in and of itself is worth its weight in gold, isn't it? It is. And so call Thrivent and get connected with them. All right. We've had good luck this week with you going first. So let's end the week with you going first here on Interweb Insanity.
1: Well, I'm a Christ follower, Brian. I don't believe in luck. Okay. In fact, we don't even call it a potluck. We call it a pot blessing. That's a good <laughs> in our church. Then I'll just say, roll the dice. Go for it. Oh, perfect. We could cast lots. That's beautiful. <laughs> uh, all right. India, born during coronavirus lockdown, Indian twins named Corona and COVID. That's oh. pretty weird. Uh, the pandemic caused by a new virus may have brought the world to its knees, but that has not deterred a couple in, oh boy, what's that Forward. word? Good luck. I'm going to go with Scar. Chadisgar. Yeah, that's not bad to name their newborn twins as Corona and COVID. Sidebar: uh, My brother-in-law just bought a dog, and they named him Cody, short for Cody nineteen. That was <laughs> kind of clever. Uh, the two words may evoke fear and devastation in the minds of others, but for the Rapport-based couple, they symbolize triumph over hardships as the twins, a boy and a girl, were born during the ongoing coronavirus-enforced nationwide lockdown, which has disrupted normal life. The names, they said, would remind them about all the hardships they conquered amid the lockdown ahead of a successful delivery on the intervening night of March 26th and 27th at a government hospital here.
2: Wait, you changed your name to McLovin? Uh McLovin? What kind of a stupid name is that?
0: I was just joking with i think i was joking with my daughter that uh how many dogs were going to get bought in in this season and be named corona yeah so, right sounds like a, we're on our way next one's out of california beverly hills police find 192 rolls of toilet paper inside a stolen suv yikes it wasn't a pot of gold but something perhaps more valuable in this era of coronavirus beverly hills police pulled over a stolen sports utility vehicle and found 192 rolls of toilet paper inside. Police arrested the driver, but said it was unclear whether the toilet paper was stolen or where it came from. The driver was arrested for several charges unrelated to the toilet paper, Police Lieutenant Elizabeth Albanese said. Toilet paper has been in short supply due to supermarket hoarding in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. On Twitter, the department quipped, gives they saw me rolling a whole new meaning. You...
3: Filthy
1: criminals. Don't you just love when police departments are clever on Twitter? I do. I do. Uh, That just makes my day. All right. California Texans. Kenny stills attacked by birds for his burrito. Oh, boy.
3: <laughs> Houston
1: Texan wide receiver Kenny Stills is currently in California due to the COVID-19 pandemic training for the upcoming season. Stills has been doing what the majority of Americans have been recommended to do, social distancing and trying to lead a norm, uh, lead as normal life as he can under current circumstances. On Friday, that apparently took a turn for the worse for Stills, who took a walk down to the beach with his burrito to eat, and then a flock of birds took over the situation. Stills took to Twitter to discuss his plight, with the birds of California ganging up on him and taking his burrito.
2: Ristlety, rostlety, now 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 with every stroke, she shed a tear Hey, Johnny, Russell-t, Russell-t, quality, nah, nah,
0: nah. So that's you know grammar sometimes he took to Twitter to discuss his plate with the birds yeah for <laughs> the birds me- on Twitter
1: yeah I think as the bird took the burrito the bird was like follow me on Twitter at, <laughs> at mean seagull
0: oh, next one's out of Mexico Mexico stops brewing Corona beer deemed non-essential in epidemic Now there you go. Mexico's Grupo Modelo said on Thursday it will temporarily stop brewing Corona beer and other brands exported to 180 countries after its business activities were declared non-essential under a government order. Uh, The Mexican government this week declared a health emergency and ordered the suspension of non-essential activities after the number of coronavirus death uh, cases in the country surpassed 1,000. The Brewer said in a statement that the suspension will go into place from Sunday uh, and that it was already in the process of scaling down production to a level at which it could resume once the suspension is lifted.
1: Mm, beer. I mean, it was just a matter of time, right? It, it makes was. sense. Yeah, had to be. All right. Last but not least, out of New York, couple meets on Trivia Crack engaged three months
0: later. Is Trivia Crack... An app I'm not aware of? I believe so. I believe it's an app, but I have also never played it.
1: Okay. In a true modern day fairy tale, the popular mobile gaming app, Trivia Crack, there you go, has brought two lovers from across the country together. Lara and Tim randomly matched as opponents back in September. Tim messaged Lara in the mobile app in game messaging feature. Uh, Lara responded, and the rest is history. The two met up, and to say they hit it off would be an understatement. The two are currently engaged and have set a wedding date for November. Tim said... I wasn't hitting on her. I mean, obviously, I was attracted to her profile picture, but she got a very obscure Harry Potter question correct in one of the challenges. So I messaged her asking if she was a fan. Laura said, first thought, uh, first thought, of course, was who would send me a message on Trivia Crack until I saw the bubble pop up and didn't even know it was an option to DM people. Normally, I'd be, weird. I'd be weirded out, but he looked good in his profile pic. So I lied and said I was a huge Harry Potter fan, (laughs) even though I actually wasn't, and had guessed on that question.
3: They're a fantastic couple. I love them.
0: Oh, that's, you know, that's love at the end. That's nice. A lot of details to this story. A lot of of intricate details. I I wonder if his, like, fairy tale was a little ruined by the fact that she lied about being a Harry Potter fan. I don't know. Yeah, he actually found
1: out during this interview, so... (laughs) Engagement's off. I'm just kidding. (laughs)
0: Well, as is the case with everyone, it's been a strange week, but a good week to be with you. We're glad to be able to help at any way that we can as we're all in this uh, together. Have a great weekend. We'll be back with you on Monday from 4 to 6. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for life.